B2B startups, change-ups, scale-ups, and grown-ups. This is the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman. Let's do this. David, welcome to the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. Hi, Eric. It's great to be here. Now, you were with, with, uh, with TrendKite. Now you're with Cision. Talk to us about that ride. Uh, I can't think of a better uh, way, to, better thing to call it than a ride, Eric. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I joined up with TrendKite uh, about three years ago. Um, you know, just uh, kind of in that uh, mid-late stage startup phase uh, that companies go through. Um, we just sort of brought in to help uh, build out a demand gen uh, function and uh, you know, start to build out a, uh, an engine uh, to get us more profitable. Uh, took that, helped take that uh, through, and then uh, surprise, surprise, uh, the start of 2019, uh, primary competitor decision came a calling, and uh, you know, and here we are. Um, currently, I'm uh, I'm running global demand gen for Cision uh, that uh, encompasses uh, both acquisition and customer marketing. Uh, I have marketers sitting in each uh, region across uh, Asia Pacific, North America, and EMEA. Uh, also have the marketing operations function, so that's all of our uh, our tech stack and plugins, workflows, that sort of thing, uh, making sure everything's working correctly. And then our market development rep team, which is really kind of the uh, uh, the engine, the growth engine behind uh, marketing contribution uh, at uh, Trendkite and now at Cision. Uh, so the market development reps follow up on all of the uh, the inbounds or leads that we drive and uh, qualify them for uh, for opportunities. How did you get started in uh, demand generation? Well, lead gen, <laughs> going back uh, going back to the beginning, I don't know, twenty some odd years ago, has always been uh, sort of part of my uh, part of my skill set. And um, you know, I'm going to date myself a little bit here. You know, going back to the time where uh, you know it was, it was about the advertising that you did, and I, I remember. Uh, you know, my start out at uh, Silicon Laboratories, uh, you know, this is all mid-late 90s, where, uh, you know, run advertising, you know, run various ads, and then I, I would physically tear out the, uh, the, 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 the green forms, the lead forms that would come back uh, to the office, and I'd walk over to the sales floor in a round-robin round fashion and say, okay, who wants leads? <laughs> and uh, that's where I kind of started. Um, I've seen that uh, evolve over time, uh, you know, uh, you know, kind of seeing the uh, the science sort of take hold of it uh, as a result of the technology that's supported to demand marketers now. Um, so, uh, you know, kind of moving through, uh, you know, doing different types of, uh, of marketing over time. I've done event marketing, uh, done digital marketing, uh, email marketing, uh, and then ultimately demand gen kind of being coined as a, as a phrase here uh, in the last uh, you know, 10, 15 years. Uh, my, my role has kind of turned into that, to the sort of doing the, the all-in-one and uh, just sort of the natural evolution of that, uh, leading the demand gen team uh, in, all, in all facets. So, What kind of growth did you see at TrendKite from when you started to the acquisition? Love telling this story, uh, Eric. Uh, when I came on to, to TrendKite, uh, you know, it was about new business, right? The uh, company was just in that stage. Uh, the, the velocity that we, need to, we needed to grow, uh, the, uh, the quality of the marketing team that we had employed, getting, the, getting them contributing to that new business number at a, at a higher click, uh, it just wasn't there. So uh, typical problem I think a lot of marketing organizations run into where generating a ton of leads, bringing in a ton of leads into the organization, tossing them over the fence to sales, and watching them fall by the wayside. Right, we see that a lot as demand marketers. Um, so, you know, quickly, I, you know, I deduced given the volume of it and given the time that the salespeople were not doing in, uh, going into uh, with the sale with the leads, I needed to do a couple of things. First place I started was the categorization of our leads. That's the first thing I did, and I like to keep things simple, Eric, as simple as possible. And uh, I broke our 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 leads out into into two. We got tier one and tier two. Tier one is anybody that comes to our website, clicks demo requests, and uh, those are tier one. When people hit demo requests on anybody's site, those are, that's the priority. Those, you know, there's a lot of names for them, hot leads, 
qualified leads, uh, urgent leads. I've heard them called a million different things, but those are the people shopping. You know, it's very evident to folks when they're hitting a or demo request button, they're going to get a phone call from somebody. They're going to be followed up on. So I wanted to take care of those first. Um, second is the tier two, and that's everything else. Those are people that come in off of content downloads, webinars, events, chat, all other things. Uh, so it's everything else. So I kept it really simple. The next thing that I did was take the weight off a salesperson. And this is very important here. Uh, and, a, and a model that I believe in and I've implemented in several organizations. And that is the implementation of a market development rep team, right? This is the intermediary between sales and marketing. This is the team that actually qualifies the inbounds, qualifies what comes in, and sets the demonstration or opportunity for sales. So they're doing the legwork for sales. And I wanted to provide that service. I needed to first, like I said at the start of the conversation, I needed to uh, – you know, create uh, value and contribution for marketing. And the way I was going to do that was, was implement a team or have a team in place that was going to do that valuing for us. So, um, so we set up that process. So when an inbound comes in, it gets uh, scored, distributed in a round-robin fashion to that inbound team, that market development rep team. Uh, they immediately follow up on them qualify, you know, they get all relevant information, points of contact, uh, budget information if they can, um, what they want to see on that demonstration, and they actually set up the, the they set up the calendar invite, they set up the demonstration, all the customization, everything for the salesperson. They even follow up with the salesperson the day of to make sure that they're going to be on the demo and they're ready for it. They set that up. So anyway, we started that at Trendtype. And then we started to set our SLAs around it uh, that we, where we started to see performance. The Tier 1 and Tier 2 I mentioned before, Tier 1 leads that come in, uh, demo request, we set a five-minute SLA. A five-minute SLA for that uh, rep to start outreach to, uh, to that lead. Why five minutes? Because chances are if somebody's coming in and hitting demo request, filling out a form, they're going to go to our competitor and do the same because they're shopping, right? This is a qualified person. They're doing some shopping. So um, five-minute SLA to begin follow-up. Um, fast forward over the course of the two years that I've been here at TrendKite, Tier 1 demo requests were qualified at 42% before I got here, right before acquisition of Cision, 87% to opportunity, conversion to opportunity. So that's a pretty big lift for Tier 1. Tier 2 inbound so, so that come in. Go, everything I, want to make sure, I want to make sure I understand these numbers. Um, yeah. You're saying 42% of leads qualify. The tier, one, the tier one leads that came in, people hitting demo requests on our site. 42% of them qualified for a demo. Correct. And then this the second the number was what? 87%. That's what we improved it to right before our audition. Got it. Okay. Got it. Okay. So um, – uh, you know, lead to opportunity lifts from 42 to 87%. Yep. Got it. The second thing we did, the tier twos that I talked about, this is everything else that we do as a marketing organization, right? Content that we put out in space, all of our paid spends, events, um, webinars, uh, anything that we do outside of anybody hitting that demo request button, we set an SLA around that. We created an inbound process for those to come in, to get scored, to get routed to the market development rep team. They've got a 24-hour SLA to follow up, right? We raised that from an abysmal 3% conversion to opportunity, right, to 23% conversion to opportunity right before acquisition. And these are lower, understandably lower level, but you see the improvements there. These are process right. improvements we, you know, we made for our campaign activity. Got it. And then what about further down the funnel? Like, can you talk about conversion? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, our, our, our newfound metric, once we started doing this process, see, the other thing that we did too, I, 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 I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this before. Um, I got, the, I got the organization, you heard me say inbound a few times versus lead. And I do say lead because it's just force of habit. But we got off a lead-based model, meaning we got off just passing off a name to a rep, right? 
we do an account-based distribution, right? So when somebody inbounds, they're going to be distributed to the, those market development reps as an account. So this is really kind of our approach to account-based marketing in that you're getting an account view. Uh, and so we, that's a little bit of work under the hood, though, um, but when something is distributed in Salesforce, they get the account view. So they see the entire account history, other points of contact, and so forth. So you're marketing to the accounts, not just the individual. So that's a that's that's another uh, and is is the is your team populating the account with the contacts or with the prospects or leads rather? If need be, um, we try to gather as much of that up front as we can, either through the forms or through uh, historical data, what have you. But um, we do actually put it in the hands of the market development reps to do the do the prospecting if they need to. Um, So you know they'll use other tools such as. uh, you know, the Zoom infos of the world, uh, LinkedIn, right. Radicator, they'll use other tools to, to, to populate the account if need be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so is that the metric um, sort of best practices around how many contacts to go after and, you know, seniority versus, you know, operational management versus operational, any sort of rules of thumb there? Um, you got to have a scoring model, <laughs> first and foremost. You have to have an idea of who has a propensity to convert. Uh, either on the account, and I'll say both in the lead and the account model, right? Because a lot of companies are on that lead model. You know, if you don't have um, have an account score, whether if it's by title, company size, uh, you know, size by employees or size by revenue, um, it makes it really hard to uh, prioritize. So we do have a, a scoring model uh, that's in place, and that's what we, we typically leverage, um, you know, because we know kind of the scoring threshold of where people have a propensity to convert to an opportunity or demo, um, you know, versus just talking to and, and, and calling on everybody. And I would say secondly there, um, it also depends on the campaign you're running, right? We, uh, you know, the uh, I can't say this enough. One of the things we do, the way we structure our campaigns is we have what's called air cover, right? And this is the campaigning. This is the, the one-to-many approach or, you know, a, a very general thought leadership webinar, you know, maybe a tactic for attacking the one-to-many, you know, a blog post around that webinar, maybe a tactic for one-to-many. Um, but then the, but then to structure it down to the one-to-few, this could be very industry or segment-based campaigning. That's where we've seen a lot of success is, like, how are we going to speak the language of a uh, – you know, of the banking and banking finance and uh, insurance industry. How are we going to speak the language of healthcare? Um, how are we going to speak the language of nonprofits, high tech, that sort of thing, travel and tourism? How are we going to talk to all of these different segments, talk to the PR and communications professional, because that's our target market, right? How are we going to talk to them uh, and get them uh, to convert to the opportunity? And then finally, there's the one-to-one which is uh, where we, how we attack enterprise. And we do this a lot now at Cision, with a much larger uh, customer base. Um, typically, we've landed in a lot of these uh, accounts, but now we're trying to expand. So this is where cross-sell, upsell comes into play. So doing very targeted accounts, more one-to-one. It's like if we took a, you know, somebody like a Microsoft or a Google or a Facebook or you know, any of these like, large enterprise organizations and you have you know, where your addressable market within that uh, that organization, let's say, you know, of the 100% penetration you could have, you've only got 10. How do we how do we start chipping away at the remaining 90, right? So we create content experiences, uh, you know, for those customers. We do targeted events. We do targeted emails, very personalized, very to that, you know, targeted at that particular organization. And that's what we call more of the one-to-one campaign. So that would be some of my advice that I give to folks in terms of uh, best practices. Are you pretty bullish on personalization? You you you, uh, you think that 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 there's a lot of room for growth there? That that's effective? What are your feelings on personalization? Um, it depends. <laughs> um, bullish is a good word to do it um, at at a at a at a high level. Again, I like to tear things out if you're not picking up on a theme here. Um, but at the very least, if you're going to send somebody an email, if you're going to target somebody specifically. Um, you at least ought to try to at least call them by name and sign your name to it, right? Those are things that I look out to. I'm a, I'm a buyer of software. I receive a lot of uh, solicitations. I get a lot of, you know, folks hit me up in a very account-based marketing approach. 
Um, I like some level of personalization at the cold touch. But then if I've met you in an event, if I've, if I've talked to you, you know, you know kind of ongoing, uh, and we practice this here, then we start to personalize the message a little, little more. Hey, it was great to see you and have a, you know, talk about your dog, or great to see you and talk about, the, you know, whatever your favorite sport, that sort of thing, right? You start to warm it up. Um, next, which I'm uh, just to kind of speak to the, to the masses here, it just really depends on where the relationship uh, lies. Folks will like, they'll kind of scrape your, your data, your, 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 uh, your footprint, your digital footprint, and they kind of use that. Um, that really just depends. I, I would say more of that one-to-one approach I, I talked about before. I see that being a little bit more bench, uh, beneficial. We use that here where we're talking to a particular client, and that's where things like gifting uh, comes into play and so forth. Too often times I get sent, somebody will send me albums based off music I've tweeted about, or they'll send me sports figurines based off sports that I like, or people will send me, you know, they'll send me, you know, Yeti tumblers, they'll send me all kinds of things like that just to try to get a demo. Not a big fan. I would actually tell folks to kind of steer away from that. I think you're wasting your money. What about um, uh, ideal customer profiles and personas? Do you use them, and if so, how? Um, kind of back to what I was saying about segment-based approaches. Um, we have data, you know, after really aggregating two years of data and then assembling that indecision now, you know, we've, uh, we know where our sweet spots are. So we can actually go into next year really excited for 2020 because it really helped us to kind of shape our demand gen calendar going into next year. So we know the seasonality of things when it comes to things like the high-tech sector. We know the seasonality of things and what plays well for, like, the retail sector, travel and tourism, right? There's different, uh, you know, there's, there's inflection points in a given year where our addressable market has propensity to convert, where they'll raise their hands, right? I'll go to retail there for a minute. We know we like to kick off our retail campaigning in late May, early June. Why? Because PR and comps professionals want to get a jump on things that are coming up in the retail season, because after – really after September, you're not going to get a hold of them, right? They're too busy in the retail industry. They're, they're in the thick of things, and they won't talk to you until January or February, so you've got that small window of, of when to talk to them. Travel and tourism, kind of the same thing, knowing when the summer and travel months are globally and start positioning yourselves in front of busy travel seasons, right? Um, you know, high tech, it's looking at sort of the landscape of things. Right now we've got a big you know, push going right now, a lot of campaigns running because you got the big CES conference upcoming in January, right? You got a lot of companies making announcements. And if you're talking to PR and communications professional, they're going to want to know how they're, how are their, uh, you know, the value of their earned media. They're going to want to know how their news is being perceived and uh, how it's registering in the marketplace. So it's a little, little way we use our, uh, our target uh, industry uh, campaign. What are some of the biggest changes that you've seen um, around demand generation in the in the years that you've been in the business? Uh, biggest changes, I mean, it's technology. That might sound a little little boring, but um, you know the 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 sophistication behind the technology um, overall right now. Uh, kind of the big thing that I'm seeing when I walk some show floors, uh, the way I get marketed to is. Um, you know, this, uh, this idea around uh, intent data, right? What is, this what is this buyer going to do? We've got a solution for you. We can tell you exactly what they're doing on your website, um, and we can help, uh, you know, increase the quality, the volume, and specifically what people are doing on your site so you can go out and, you know, in our case, set a demo, right? Um, my overall take on it is it's good. Um, we have partaken in a, in a couple of, uh, of these different technologies. I haven't seen them take off yet to where I can kind of just solidly get behind one of them. Um, but, you know, kind of a, you know, a, a little bit of a, a pivot from that is uh, AI and some of the uh, artificial intelligence features that uh, you can, you can uh, leverage in existing technologies. Uh, example there, uh, we're big uh, customers of Uberflip. And one of the things I really like that is they create a, uh, they're not just a content repository. I mean, they are that. It's a great place to start with from, but they can actually uh, create a, 
oh, let's just say, uh, almost a streaming service environment, making your content somewhat episodic in nature, right? So you can actually make recommendations. Uh, if somebody comes to your content site, uh, you know, a little little pop-up will show up in the windows like, oh, you're enjoying this blog post, you might like this ebook. If you like this ebook, you might want to register for this webinar. Um, and then you can follow those folks kind of in their internet journey and position that you know that same uh, same bit of content uh, to bring them back to the site. And then as an extension of that, then you have technology like Drift, for instance, where the Drift customers, uh, Drift does very much the same thing. While it's a chat feature, first and foremost, on our site, um, one of the things I really like about it is I don't have to have a human on chat all the time. There is actually a very sophisticated bot feature that will not only take a demo request from somebody in off hours, but they'll also position relevant content. So if that person isn't ready to buy or have a conversation, we can at least leave them with a, uh, a relevant piece of content. And they can take that content, or we can see their interest in that content and position more to the AI feature out of Uberflip. So uh, AI is another one that uh, I see as a, uh, a trend making, a, uh, making an impact. Are, are you using um, a sales enablement platform or a digital asset management tool to help uh, reps nurture and convert? Um, we are. Uh, a couple of different uh, tools in their bag. Uh, I mentioned before the prospecting tools. Um, you know, one of the things we uh, we use uh, in uh, in their outreach, uh, enable it. We actually two different tools, but in their general outreach, they use a tool called Outreach. I should say, yeah. which uh, we really like. Uh, you know, Outreach does uh, a lot of the, uh, the the manual work behind the outreach to uh, to inbounds that come in. I'll go back to those tier two uh, inbounds that we have. We have such a large quantity, especially with a company like Cision. We get you know, massive amounts of inbounds that come in. Um, this allows, as they get round-robin and distributed to the market development reps, gives them an opportunity. It gets loaded into outreach. They have pre-built sequences that they can, they can tailor as they see fit, right, so they can actually send a customized message. And, you know, really within minutes, you know, they can actually get a communication out to a group of of uh, similar audiences, a fairly large group that can get that loaded up and sent out and get their cadences started, uh, you know, so they can, you know, they're fishing at that point, right? They're trying to get some bites based off a few folks and they can kind of start uh, start there. Um, and then enablement overall, uh, we do use uh, Guru um, as a uh, sales enablement platform, really where they can go in, uh, they can look up, uh, you know, relevant, uh, uh, product marketing content, uh, you know, based off uh, product questions. Uh, uh, they can get their uh, uh, battle cards. Uh, I mentioned products, battle cards. Uh, they can look at ungated content that we're promoting out there, uh, news releases, different things that we have out there to, to help them do their job better. They use Guru as a quick search. And all of this is plugged in, too. I should say that the tool is plugged in through Slack. We're a big Slack organization. Uh, so they can actually do a, a quick search there and get the uh, the tools they need to uh, do their job better. If you if you had a magic wand and you could wave a magic wand over everything you're doing um, and improve something, what would you improve? Oh man, that's a let me pick one there. I'm always big on the health of my database. I would just, I don't, and I don't know if I'll ever be satisfied or if one wave of the wand would do it, but I'm always looking at the, the engagement of the database, the health of it, engaged versus not engaged. And, uh, you know, I don't know what world that looks in, but it would be amazing to be at like a 95% engaged database. <laughs> so when you send something out, uh, you're, you're talking to a higher number of people that will respond to you. Do you um, also give the uh, the sales the sales team what they need to close, or is that do they you know are you just pretty much on the enablement side, and then once um, you know say uh, a, a lead is working, it's with sales, and then then they are using outreach and their own tools, or or are they they're using um, this uh, guru tool as well to download decks and personalize pitch materials and that type of thing? The sales team is using the same uh, same tools as a market development rep. They use outreach and their sequencing and their messages. They, you know, we are a salesforce.com shop. Um, they, they use LinkedIn Navigator to, to look up, uh, you know, if another, uh, you know, a, you know, 
uh, point of contact comes aboard. Um, they use all of the, they use the same tools. They use Guru uh, for their enablement. But when you're talking about somebody that's uh, actually physically training them and enabling them kind of through it, we do have product marketing. Um, uh, we have a lead for that. So the uh, the global leader in product marketing, uh, uh, he and I are well really sort of joined at the hip <laughs> uh, in terms of uh, you know messaging, uh, you know product announcements, product updates, and so forth. Things that are coming out of that. Uh, out of their team, uh, my team and his team are, are very, uh, very joined up uh, and partnered to, you know, to make sure that we're not sending mixed messages to the sales floor. Um, so, yeah. When when you guys were acquired by Cision, uh, did you announce your customer count at that point? What was what sort of metrics what, what did you release to the street about the size of Trendkite when it was acquired? Um, we didn't. Well, I mean, the, you know, where, where Trendkite was as a business, you know, that was, uh, you know, that, that news was released. You know, we had just uh, crossed the 30 million ARR mark. Uh, so a pretty healthy, uh, pretty healthy out uh, for Trendkite, at least where it was, uh, or at least the number of employees and, and so forth, all that information was made available. Um, but then to our customers, um, you know, the communication. 30 million was, annual, uh, 30 million annual recurring revenue. Correct. And you're recurring with it. And then you were going to say something else, so I cut you off. I'm sorry. I, I just thought I thought I heard in you there. You said you mentioned something about our communication to our customers. Um, communication with customers was obviously the uh, you're not losing anything. In fact, you're going to have the opportunity to uh, get a whole lot more. Um, Decision was a you know our trend kite is a media monitoring. Uh, organization, so the value of your earned media, you know, measuring the impact of your your programs, your campaigns, getting real time data on that. Um, but now you get a whole lot more with Vision. See with the communications cloud, um, you know, social listening, uh, distribution, uh, influencer database. You know, you get a whole you're going to get a whole lot more now uh, as we go forward. So that's kind of the and so it's I guess it's a it's a vertically integrated. Uh, you know, uh, communicators stack of tools, right? You've got the database, you've got the monitoring, you've got the analytics, you've got the engagement. Um, and then what, I guess trend, trend uh, kite is the analytics piece. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we took the, you know, at, at warp speed, we took the, uh, the media monitoring arm out of scission and plugged the trend kite one in. That was the attraction. That was the reason for the the, the acquisition. So what so, happened? Um, to, wasn't there uh, another uh, acquisition? Gorkana, I remember, was acquired. <laughs> Gorkana was acquired. Yeah, that was a ways back. Um, mostly integrated. Some of the My Gorkana brand is still around because it's more just a brand uh, type thing. But the uh, back to the trend kite. That was the the emphasis there was. Um, speed to integration, right? That was one of the things. We didn't want to just be another decision has grown through acquisition over time. And we wanted to mm -hmm. uh to make this a more of a seamless acquisition. We didn't want trend cut to necessarily just sort of you know stammer on for, for, for years on end. We wanted to make that assimilation very quickly. So So Trendkite then is analytics and media monitoring. Correct. So let's um, let's have a discussion about media monitoring. Okay. So so I, I've got to think you know AI is going to replace Boolean queries and media monitoring. Yes. I can't speak to exactly what's on the roadmap, but you know I, I mentioned AI before, sort of in the marketing space. I mean, but it has. A, so I guess seems, you seems to be the, question, the way. That, it has not replaced it yet. Seems to be the way for the still future. Still at this point, it, but yeah, it's still Bolayan at this it is. point. Okay. Correct. Correct. And yeah. and um, talk to us a little bit about the uh, solution. I mean, obviously, media monitoring is a crowded space. Um, you know what makes uh, Trendkite different? Well, the you know the difference, and I I, I remember our conversation, Eric, a little bit uh, at the PRNSA conference here recently, is Decision, you know, trend kite now decision. Um, you know, we will always continue to uh, to push our message, the value of our product, the value of our our technology as part of the the PR and communicators tech stack. We will always do that. 
um, we are a part of that, right? Um, for, ever, for however we're using it. So if you're measuring the value of your campaigns that you're pushing out there, uh, you know, the inflection points or, uh, you know, dips in, in social, uh, you know, dips in, uh, you know, or, or value back to your website, the, the analytics behind if you put a press release out there, what kind of earned are you getting right back to your site? Um, if you need to look up a particular journalist or try to make a pitch to a particular journalist, if you need to get a news release out on the wire, we have that. We have that for you. We will continue to push that to PR and communications professionals. What I'm excited about, and I alluded to this in the early part of the discussion when I started talking about the science and tech, you know, science and technology of marketers. And I've done this. I've been to, we've been through, uh, you know, a few marketing conferences uh, in the last year as Cision. And one of the things I'm starting to see in, in the eyes of, uh, like chief marketing officers, is when you start talking to them about the impact of their campaigns, right? Their integrated campaigns that their teams are launching. Whatever they're talking about, whatever they're launching, whatever they're doing, um, you know, if you position it, if I'm, if I'm picturing here and picture with me here a, a boardroom table and the CMO or project leader, what have you, is you're announcing a campaign. This is what we're going to talk about, team. And, you know, down the row, you have product marketing, you have demand gen, you had advertising, you've got your web person, you've got your, your email person or database person, your ops person, uh, events person, right? Everybody has a little stake in the game, right? And the PR person, no different. They have a stake in the game. But what I've seen, and when you position it this way, uh, is, you know, a lot of times towards the end of the project, towards the end of the planning for before deployment, it's, Hey, PR person, can you get us a press release? Here's all the messaging and everything. Get us a press release. Let's get it out on the wire. Right? There, it, that mindset can absolutely change with decision platform. And one of the things I've been doing is positioning this in front of CMOs to, you know, think about it from that standpoint. With decision, you know, if you're launching something or you're campaigning on something that maybe one of your competitors has done something similar on, you can actually look into that product. You can look at the media monitoring arm and see it. how did it do. You can see what channels it played well on. You can see what influencers or journalists picked it up. Um, you can see what, you know, you can kind of handpick what journalists, you know, uh, or influencers uh, you want to reach out to. You can optimize your wire service, right? You can do all of these things now in a tool that, that maybe just didn't get the, or platform that didn't get the popularity, let's say, as little as five to ten years ago. Um, you know, the technology has caught up now to where the PR person can become a very vital uh, part in that deployment because now they have technology to kind of help steer the ship. They can almost steer the ship there, like maybe, guys, we want to stay away from this message, or maybe we want to, you know, double down here. Maybe we want this to be purely social. Maybe we need to bring the digital marker in here and optimize the keywords in here because we see how XYZ company failed at this last year. These are the different levels of insights that, that can be afforded to. And so when you start positioning it that way to a CMO, and they can start to see ROI and justify spending that, that's where the eyes, the, the, the head nods happen and the uh, eyebrows start to raise. And they're like, oh, man, didn't know you could do all that. So... That's where I see some of this changing. So. When you when you think about um, you know the types of um, metrics that are going to get a CMO excited, is can you get away from vanity metrics and to you know bottom funnel you know revenue impact numbers? Is there a way to uh, sort of bring those in? And I mean, it's so tough, you know, with PR, it's so impervious to that t those type of, of metrics because. How do you really know? I mean, you can't really draw a straight line between like an article and a newspaper or even on a website to, uh, you know, sales or leads or conversions. Um, so, I mean, how, how do you get your, how do you, when you wind up in the boardroom with the CMO that, you know, really does want to understand, you know, what the value of PR is, how, how do you deal with that? And if, if you can't really answer their question now, can you sort of see down the tunnel, like, you know, how technology may be able to answer that question in the future? If I can walk them through 
and I, and I would say, number one, a CMO that's c consumed with vanity metrics, eesh, you know, they're not going to be CMO for very long, especially in this day and age. Um, the vanity metrics to me are a bit of, you know, you put those in a holding tank, likes, shares, that sort of thing. But there's value you can derive from some of that. And let's just kind of think, I'm a marketer, I think, in terms of funnels <laughs> a lot of times. So, you know, if I'm thinking about the top of funnel where, where inquiries are made, right, you've put some news out there. And you put it out there. Let's say you've done this right. You've put news out there across a variety of different mediums. You have a press release, uh, a couple of blog posts. You have, uh, you know, a couple of uh, articles that you've placed, some, some journalists that you've, uh, you've gotten in touch with. Um, you're doing the social media thing, right? You put those out there and you start to tag them, you, know, you tag them appropriately, right? You always want to tag them. And something that a PR person should always say, I should say this before I say that, is always, no matter what you're doing, be very aligned with your company's KPIs or your marketing team's KPIs. Um, something I'm, I'm a firm believer in also is the PR person be very close to the digital marketer in the room, knowing certain, like, what keywords to use, uh, what's resonating with certain folks, right? So before they even deploy those campaigns, they're already going to see some results, right? They're going to see some results if they put these together, right? So I wanted to make sure to mention that. Um, so back to kind of funnel, you've put, you've put this stuff out there. You've, um, you know, you've, uh, you've, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought there. <laughs> you've, uh, we're talking you've put about out social um, media. You put it with, yeah, sorry. I just thought just that my brain stopped. You, we're, we're talking <laughs> about how to um, get our, how to, how to figure out, um, what PR's impact is on the bottom line. Right, right. So thinking about the bottom line and thinking about the, uh, you know, the value of earned, uh, you know, kind of through it all, the, um, the, the impact that, you, that returns, yeah, the impact returns back on that. It's exactly where I was going first, going with. The impact that, that comes back, you can start to measure your reputation immediately. And that's a, that's a good way to describe it. You start to measure the impact of reputation. And you can do that through, you can do that through some of those vanity metrics. You can see who's sharing, who's liking, who's retweeting. You can take that and compartmentalize it so you can start to get an idea of what they're coming back to. Now that, now there's two parallel tracks running. You have the, the journalists maybe that you want to be picking up and retweeting your story so you can kind of Get, a, get an accurate count on there, right? You can, if tagged appropriately, again, this is partnering with your digital marketer, now getting to more of the middle part of the funnel, you're, um, you're able to measure, are they coming back to your site, right? Are they coming back to your site through the links that you put out there? Are they coming back to your site through uh, the backlinks that you put out there, right? How are they coming back to your site um, and are you able to, to track them appropriately, right? So there's that. Once they're tracked and once you start marketing to them, now this is the other parallel track. If they're not a journalist, if they're not somebody that you're, you rely on maybe for the thought leadership or getting the, the message or the word out there, hopefully they're a potential buyer. So tagged appropriately, then you brought them into your, your experience. You're controlling the narrative, bringing them to an experience, download content, uh, take a demonstration, learn more about your company, once they come into there, if you set, if the digital marketer has set things up right, if your marketing team has set things up correctly, that's easy to tag at that point, right? So now you're measuring the impact of it. Now you're actually getting into ROI. And done correctly, it sounds very, you know, a lot for, you know, PR and comms professionals. But once you've done that correctly, then you can do one of two things. You can measure the impact of those vanity metrics and the impact back to your site. And then you have another arm, again, tagged appropriately. You can see who's actually coming in and like, wow, we got a demo request, you know, directly from this link or this article that we put out there. It's kind of cool. Just to give folks who aren't in P, uh, PR media, um, you know, some sort of sense of, of you know, what uh, the size of the sale is, can you give me like a range of, an, an, of uh, annual lifetime value of a customer or, uh, I, I'm sorry, total lifetime value of a customer, a range, or annual value, a range? What's the size of a um, sale? Uh, it can be, well, I mean, you know, we deal with small, medium, enterprise business decision. Uh, Trendkite, the bulk of the business was, was uh, you know, in the small to medium business range. You know, you're dealing with a twenty to $30,000 ACV, uh, average contract value uh, year over year. 
um, not too, too far off decision in that, in that same space, but you have the small to medium business in that similar range. And then of course, enterprise can be, you know, sort of sky's the limit. Um, and then what's the sales cycle like, on that? How long does it take? Uh, Mid-market, what I've seen, and I've seen this pretty, very similar in other organizations as well, for, for a typical platform, moderately, you know, depends on what the capability is, um, but usually with a small to medium business, uh, you know, that we see, you see anywhere from a 45 to 60-day sales cycle, and that's from lead, that's from inbound to close, so. And so, um, you know, from your view as, as a demand gen uh, person, what what do you want to know? Like what information uh, attracts you? You um, when like what what sort of a um, of a webinar are you going to attend? You want to know more about what? Um, it's always in about where the the stage you are in your career and what you're on the hook for. Me personally, I am running a global team. So I am uh, constantly, I'm consuming content now on, on running a global demand gen team across the areas that I mentioned before. Uh, demand gen, so what, uh, you know, what works here in the U.S. may not work in Canada, may not work in Sweden. <laughs> um, operations, you know, the way we, we have our operational team set up here, our technology stack and so forth. Does that translate to the United Kingdom? Or do we need to get other software or other, other functions for that role? And then more importantly, the market development role, which I'm actually scaling here at Cision, is uh, you know, the tactics and the way they go about things, the way they're comp, the way that they, uh, they outreach. Does that translate and does that work in, in other regions? So that's where I'm consuming content and best practices sort of globally for running a dimension team. Any interesting sort of quirky uh, tidbits you can share anecdotal, you know, stories about how markets are different. Anything interesting? Anything interesting? Any peculiar? I something I about Zimbabwe. Is there, do they buy differently? And in, uh, in, uh, oh, man, I, it, I would say the. I would say the the the, the one that sort of gets me is. I, is events. And this may not sound quirky, but it's just sort of the angle. Special events? What, I, what I'm observing. Special events meaning like th there's something about the way Europeans market at events versus what we do in the U.S., right? In the U.S., we go to these massive industry events, these trade shows and what have you, and we uh, we network, Right. A lot of times you're not going to sell something at the event, uh, but you use it as a step in the buying process. What I've seen in, you know, you know, other countries, again, Sweden, Finland, the Nordics, uh, you know, Germany and such is, man, they go to an event and they work and they sell stuff. You know, phone call outreach, cute emails, things like that don't always don't work over there. Not sure. Not sure why. It's just the personality. They want to meet face to face. So it's a much different dynamic. So is that quirky? I don't well, know. That's just something that I picked up on. That's no water country, right? I mean, they're from there. Weren't they from <laughs> over there? Where are they from? A little bit. They got a, they got a pretty strong presence there. Um, but isn't it like the founder finish or something or. Maybe I, he might be. So. I have his book here. I haven't read it yet. Uh, I'll tell you. <laughs> um, the guy's name is. Likes Ligason. That's definitely sounds like a uh, Nordic name. Nah, it's not in the blurb here where he's from, but I thought it was from over there. Um, so, um, and, and what you're seeing is in those countries, they're aggressive at the shows. I mean, they'll step right up and go, they'll pull out a contract and sign the deal right there. Mm-hmm. Is that, is that a fair characterization? Or do I understand you're right? I think so. Yeah. 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 What about just, Europe? What about Western what Europe? Is, um, very much the same. There's just the people, it's the people dynamic, right? There's just something about the face-to-face -face interaction versus the digital. 
And what's even funnier, something else I've, oh, here's, actually, here's some quirky. You know, I'm glad you asked that question. Something a little bit quirky is my, my team in Europe and across all of Europe and in Canada, by the way, demand gen doesn't translate. Um, the function of demand gen, like by, by name, I should say the function exists, but the, the name demand gen, and they don't want to be called demand gen marketers. They want to be digital marketers. Digital digital marketing is, is what they what translates. Versus the United States where demand gen means something. You want to be called that and digital is a subset of demand gen. Digital is like your paid uh, you know, your your paid search and so forth. So you have these digital marketing managers or paid marketing managers. So that's a little But they see the, they know. see the moniker demand gen as somewhat offensive in, in Western I just Europe. Don't think it's t- it just doesn't make not offensive, just doesn't take. It just, or it just hasn't taken yet. Um, that's one thing I've noticed because I try to change. I try to unify all the titles, and yeah, they weren't having it. <laughs> so, one of the things I've noticed, you know, having gone to a lot of different conferences um, and also gone to conferences abroad, there was this one conference that was happening in Paris for a while called Le Web. Did you ever go to Le Web or hear about it? I haven't. I haven't. So Le Web was where. Um, you know, Waze showed up first, and um, it was where Uber was founded. You know, um, Airbnb came out of out of uh, out of the web. And the interesting thing about the web was, you know, when you go to like a U.S. conference, pretty much every square foot of the trade show floor is paid for by somebody, and mm-hmm. if the space has not been paid for. It's not furnished. And so really the only place to mingle is in a booth or in an aisle. And what was different about the web is they actually built this central sort of coffee bar that was free and had like tables and chairs and, and uh, couches all around it. And then the booths were all around that. Mm-hmm. And because they had that, you know, that sort of common area, that public space where you could rub up against somebody without really being sold because you were in their booth, you know, the humanity at that conference was off the hook. And you wound up meeting people like that you typically would never meet just because of the hierarchy of, you know, one guy being on stage, being mobbed afterwards and then leaving if everyone wanted to meet him. You know, at the web, that guy grabs a cup of coffee and winds up meeting everybody just because there is a common area to do that. And if you think about kind of common areas, public spaces in this country, we're not really as as advanced as they are in Europe with public spaces. You know, they kind of understand how to do it a little better about parks and areas where people gather and congregate, probably just because they're more mature and there's less space and they've been around longer. But that that was kind of my big uh, aha moment with the difference between trade shows in Europe and um, uh, and I wasn't selling, so I really wouldn't have had the insight into whether or not you know it was a harder sell there or um, or here. The only other show I've seen here that kind of gets a little bit of that common area vibe going is uh, South by Southwest. Yeah. No, I can definitely see that, um, which we participate in as well. Actually, I've been going to that. I mean, did you? Are you from Austin? Years. I am. I'm in Austin now. So, are you from there? Born and raised? Uh, no, nah, I was military brat before that, but been here off and on for thirty-two, thirty-three years. So, you probably grew up at South by Southwest. Yes. I saw it when it You've was. You've seen, seen that, yeah. You're very, Did you volunteer when you were a kid? And I never volunteered, but man, I mean, you used to get a, you used to get into a lot better concerts free back then. I tell you, it was nice. <laughs> yeah, but then I saw the I saw the introduction of the uh, 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 the interactive festival, more the business side of it, where tech companies started mm-hmm. to come in. Um, mm-hmm. So that was a that was a change that I saw go over time. I did, uh, and it'll be in the book, I did an interview with, what's his name, the chief content officer for Interactive, Southwest Southwest? I'm not sure who that is. 
Okay. Um, well, he'll he'll he's one of these interviews as well. Uh, and what's your favorite barbecue in Austin? Favorite barbecue, Salt Lake. Salt Lake. Okay. You're not, not a Franklin barbecue guy, huh? No, not it's. Hey, you know what? He's got a good model. I've met the man. Good, good stuff. But it's just an advice. Not worth waiting two hours for. <laughs> well, you know what happened? So I didn't know about it. I touched down at 2 p.m., got my rental car, pulled up Yelp, and it came up as number one. Um, showed up there around 2.45, 2.50. There was no line anymore, and there was a sign on the door that said sold out, piece of paper taped to the door. I went in anyways, and I got in line, and I got the last order of brisket. Oh, Really? It was amazing, yeah. And then, like, uh, you know, I put a picture on uh, Instagram, and everyone was like, oh, my God, how did you get in? And I didn't even know. I just, I just got lucky. But I think that if you're alone and you show up at 245 and just ignore the sold-out sign, that's the way to go there. I'll tell you another secret. Um, get with a group and buy a whole brisket. And you just walk up and you take it with you. you got to go cut it up and stuff yourself. But that's another way to go. Do you know this company that does uh, these things, Master uh, Masterclass? Have you heard of that company? I guess not. No. So um, they market these classes, you know, taught by the best of the best. You know, Steve Martin teaches comedy. Um, Malcolm Gladwell teaches writing, and they have one now. The guy from Franklin teaches barbecue. And my neighbor and I watched it, and we made a barbecue. And let me tell you, man, it was every bit as good. It's not really that hard if you just follow, you know, his his recipe. Thanks for listening. This is Eric Schwartzman for the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. See you next time.